This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr. Gillian Kayes and Jeremy Fisher. This is A Voice. Hello and welcome to episode three of our podcast, This is A Voice. Fantastic. On number three already. Yes. Um, So what's the topic today? Ah, well, the topic today is something that gets discussed a lot on our singing teacher training. And also it's a question I think that comes up a lot from working singers, which is what's the best way of learning songs? And for us teachers, what's the best way to teach songs? Okay, that's good. And I think at the moment, because so many people are working, um, you know, with social distancing, you know, uh, via the internet, Mm. there are additional challenges in terms of how we teach remotely because of latency and all of that. You know, you can't accompany your students on the piano. You can't note bash on the piano with them in the way that perhaps you would do when they're in there in the studio. True. Okay. So I'm going to start by talking from a singing teacher and singer point of view, which is uh, there's a, a term that we singers use, which is I've got to get that song into my voice, into my voice. Yeah. And what do we, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. What do mean? What do we mean by that? Yeah. And we also often use this word muscle memory. Now, of course, our muscles don't have memories. We know now that really this is a neural memory, a neural patterning that we have. It's it's like. I often talk about it with my students that you have a kind of a roadmap in your head of um, where the song goes. Mm. And that's really what we're building when we're learning a song. And when we've got it there, it does stay in our memory. You know, I can still sing a song, not just remember the words, but also the feel of the song. And I'll often sing um, straight in on the correct notes, Mm. even though I don't have perfect pitch from stuff that I was performing 30 years ago. I think, I mean, let's just digress for a moment because that's fascinating. The Mm. whole business of having a feel for the pitch. And I know um, violinists have the same thing. They know where that particular note is on the on the the, uh, the neck of the violin mm. and cellists and stuff like that. And I think it's really interesting for singers that you have a feel for what key you're singing in and where it is, uh, you know, where it is in your voice and what it feels like and, and what the sound feels like, which is a really weird sentence mm-hmm. to say. Mm. Um, and if you don't have perfect pitch you still know approximately where it is in your Mm -hmm. range Mm -hmm. if you do have perfect pitch singing in a different key is a nightmare yep because you have not just a a a physical memory but you have a visual and an auditory memory as well Mm. and you're almost having to rewrite the song in your head which is i don't have perfect pitch i have very good relative pitch Mm. and um, i have come across that a little digression i was auditioning for the swingle singers as the low bass years ago in fact i've done it twice and got through to the final rounds. Um, and uh, Just saying. Just saying. Mm. And uh, clang. <laughs> and um, we were doing a, a wonderful piece. It was a fantastic arrangement of Fool on the Hill. Um, and I knew it that it went down to B1. Hang on, which which B is it? Uh, A4, oh, don't A3, ask me. A2, I'm having two, one of those B1. moments. Yeah, yes. it's the B below bass bottom C. Yeah. Um, and and basically the whole piece ends on that and it's a very, very, very long held low B. And I knew it was coming up. And then they gave me the start note to um to start the piece and we were singing from memory and they gave me one and I went, hang on, that's not the right note. Oh my god. Um and it was I think a semitone down. Mm. 
Um, and I don't know whether they were doing that deliberately, whether they'd given me the music in B minor and um, then just decided that they were going to do it down at him to I C. I bet they were impressed. I, I, well, the thing was that you I did... not because... Act, I, well, I was terrified <laughs> because I literally had to rewrite everything in my head mm. because I knew exactly where everything was. Um, but I did manage to hit the low B flat and sustain it for about six bars, which was that that was the bit they were impressed with. It's very interesting you're talking about the reframing because I think, you know, a lot of singers, irrespective of, of whether we have this, you know, really perfect sense of pitch, mm. uh, if you put a song up or down a tone, we really feel it. Yes. You know, we, we don't have... What's the thing that you have on a guitar? Um, a... <laughs> oh, gosh. Don't ask me things when I haven't got a brain on. Hang on. Um... What's it called? Not a ligature. No. The thing you put on a guitar. That just thing. To, just, just to change just, key. You right, slap good. it on, okay, the, on the neck right, of the that's guitar. That's going to be an amusing moment. For yeah, yeah. Let us know what it is because yeah. it's going to drive me nuts. Um, we don't have one of those. So, you know, if you're a jazz singer and suddenly you're working with a group of musicians that maybe you didn't rehearse with uh, previously and they've got, you know, the song set in the keys that they like to play in. Hmm. They think, as a singer, well, you can just change key. Oh, no, we can't. Well, this is really interesting because, essentially, let's assume that a singer has a two and a half octave range. Mm. Um, and the idea of when you're a guitarist or a pianist or a, or a whatever is that you've got those notes in front of you and you can play them. And a few keys are slightly more difficult than others, but basically you can play any melody you can play in any part of that range. As a singer, that doesn't work like that because there are certain parts of your range that are more comfortable. Mm. There are certain parts of the range where you can sit really easily. And then there are certain parts of the range where you've got those notes and you can pop up and down to them, but you can't sit there. It's mm. too tiring. Mm. And so there are adjustments that need to be made because the voice is a physical thing yeah. in the physical body. You know, it's not as easy as... Flicking yeah. a switch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or putting a kind of clamp thing on. We've, we've sort of come, we've popped away from the topic a bit, which is what we normally do. I had a little rant there. <laughs> a little rant. Okay. What do we, what, so how do we, how do we learn a song? I'll talk to you about my process when I'm working with a singer. My, my aim with a singer is to tailor the song to the individual voice, and that might include the key. I might even need to make adjustments to certain notes, depending on the genre that I'm working in. So I let's assume I'm working with uh, a client that I know quite well. I know their voice quite well and I know their pitch range quite well. You know, I know where their gear changes are, where their voice sounds best. I know where their money notes are. So I will look at the pitch range of the song and start to create exercises, warm-up exercises around that pitch range and help the singer to kind of ease their voice around the notes that they're going to be singing. Mm. And then we might take some phrases from the song and sing them and kind of play around with that. That's one of the things that I do. I Personally, I'm not keen on teaching line by line. I mean, I've done loads of that in my career, but I actually find it quite boring. And to be fair, most of the singers that I work with either learn the song auditorily and come into a lesson with the song already learned in terms of notes and rhythm, or um, they are music readers and you, we might want to talk about that process with people who, who don't read and how yes. they learn. Yes. But for me as the trainer, 
getting the song into the singer's voice is about working it around the pitch range, the volume. Also looking at breath patterns, you know, yeah, where, where are you going to breathe? Maybe breaking down the rhythmic pattern of a song and, and working it on buzzing or chanting, which I think you're going to talk about yeah, more, more later as a song learning process. Yeah. So those are all things that I would do um, to help a singer get the song into their voice. Now, I would love you to talk about, you know, you have people coming to you. I've got to sing this song tomorrow in the audition. Yes, yes. And they... sometimes you have to teach it from scratch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's an interesting situation where, you know, you've done your audition for the role and you are, your agent says, oh, yes, they want to see you. They want to see you tomorrow. They sent me the music just now. I'll I'll email it over. And you have 12 hours, and that's most of that's overnight, um, to learn a song. And I'm, I do actually wonder sometimes whether companies do that deliberately, where it's like, we'll see what you, whether you can learn the song in 12 hours. I don't know whether they do or not, but it happens so often. Anyway, so people tend to come to me, and sometimes it's been they'll, they'll have a 10 o'clock lesson and they've got the audition at 12. Mm-hmm. So we really have to learn the song. And I have a sequence that I use um which I'll tell you about. And then I'll tell you about a discussion that I had with um, four or five teachers on the online singing teacher training mm. course that we're just doing right now. And we had a, com- uh, a conversation two days ago. I'm going to have on- a hydration moment. Excuse me. You're welcome. On um, this whole business of how do you learn a song and how do you teach a song? And I'll come back to that in a minute. So my sequence is, and this is particularly for musical theatre, you do the lyrics first. You read the lyrics like a script so that you know what the concept is. You know what the context of the words is. You start there. Then you read the words again, but you read them out loud in rhythm. And what that means is that you have to elongate all the vowels that you are then going to resonate on when you sing. Mm. And it's very useful because not only do you have to elongate the vowels, and some of them it's very easy to elongate an E because it's a long vowel. It's very easy to elongate an R because it's a long vowel. But if you have to elongate the word if, which is an I, an I is normally a short vowel. So you have to do if, and of course I'm thinking of if I loved you. So you've got the uh of loved as well, rather than loved or lived or loved. If I loved you, that's very nice. Um, so you, first of all, you elongate the vowels and find out what you have to do to make those vowels last the entire length of that note. The second thing that you have to do, and this is all happening automatically, is you discover where the consonants come. Mm-hmm. And it's up to you whether you put bring mm. the consonants in early or late, or on time. Entirely up to you. So if I took If I Loved You, I could do, let's take the F of if, you go, if I loved you. All of those consonants are very, very late, and right on the moment where you change the next vowel. That's very classical, isn't it? It is very classical. That is one of the goals of classical singing, is that you hold the vowel for as long as possible, because uh, in the classical world, the vowel carries the tone. Can I just interject here? Yes. 
That's one of the bases of legato, isn't it? It is. And did you not write I a did. book I did. exactly about this? Let's I just did. pop that in, okay. shall we? I wrote a book called How to Sing Legato because I was so fed up with the rubbish that is talked about singing legato. There is so much nonsense out there about singing legato, and it is so straightforward if you know the rules. So, and this is one of them, that you leave the consonants late, um, or sometimes you don't. And the interesting thing is legato is not just continuous sound. Because we have words, we can't do continuous sound. So the moment you accept that, then um, it means that you can put gaps in the word and still keep the legato. Mm. But you'll have to read the book to find out more about that. So um, the next thing that you do is decide whether you're going to put the consonants in early or not because of the meaning. And if I take If I Loved You, it's not... Everybody goes for If I Loved You because that's the one of the highest words in that phrase. It's one of the most important words. Everybody loves the word love. But in fact, the sense of the sentence is If I Loved You then I would behave like this, but clearly I don't. And that's the whole premise of the song. So if you're bringing the F in early, if I loved you, which is rather nice. If we didn't have that if word, the main theme of the musical yeah. just wouldn't happen. Yeah, so interesting because obviously the, you know, I loved you um, is what everyone goes for, but in fact it's if. So that's great. Um, so then, the, by the way, this is just step one. <laughs> I'm just going into a little more detail than I yeah. would normally do. Um, so with step one, what you've done is you've spoken the words in rhythm. Uh, you've worked out where the consonants come. You've worked out what vowels you have to ex extend and whether there are some unusual vowels there. And if there are, what you have to do with them. Um, so you said a lot of that is happening instinctively yes. rather than you kind of nitpicking. Oh, what do I do with this vowel? Where does it go? Yes. Okay. Um, and then the second thing is to forget the words completely and to sing the melody by itself. Now, you can hum the melody, you can N the melody, you can M the melody, you can NG the melody. You could SOVT you the could melody. SOVT, you could get mm -hmm. your straws and, and mm -hmm. a bottle of water out and you could bubble your way through the melody. It mm -hmm. really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing for me on humming the melody or doing whatever you're doing with it is that you slide between the notes. You do not sing it as a melody. You sing it as a whole, it's a sort of hiatus slide. So you slide around and then you ho uh, hover on the note that you're you're going to. We talk a lot, don't we, about how in terms of managing pitch and changing pitch, the voice is a sliding instrument. It is. And I think that's important, even though, as Jeremy's just said, when we Obviously, we have rests in the music anyway. But uh, if we have a consonant that is unvoiced or a plosive consonant, yeah. then the um, the breath stream, the flow is interrupted slightly or changed. Yes, yes. Uh, the reason that I get people to slide around, if you think about what uh, vocal folds have to do to change pitch, they have mm. to speed up and slow down. Micro-movements. They're uh, micro-movements. Mm. Um, by sliding around, and I'm going to do a demo in a minute, by sliding around, what you end up doing is travelling through every note that you need to find. And it enables your um, brain to create the pathway much more easily, much quicker, mm. and ironically, more accurately. So if I do a slide around where I don't hover, and I'm doing If I Loved You... Mm, that'll do. Hi! <laughs> Every musical director is 
Oh, I'm cursing. Cursing. Excuse me. I'm a musical director. I know what I'm doing. Um, so that's just the sliding around. If you then slide and hover, or what we call gliding and landing. Mm. Then you decide whether you're going to glide fast or slow. Mm. I'm actually still gliding, but it sounds like I'm stepping. Because your voice isn't a piano. No, it is not a piano. Um, so that's that. And then you put... What's your next step? Next step is to put the two together. Mm. There is an interim step if you want it. Um, I'm not using it so much now. The interim step, and I write about this, is called myroning, which is a combination of singing and mouthing. Sirening and mouthing. Um, and what you do... I mean, if people are watching on the, the YouTube video are going to love this because you'll see me doing it rather than just hear me. Uh, you are doing an NG at the back of your mouth and you are making all the consonants and shapes at the front. So you have a constant stream of NG, but you're making shapes at the front and it actually helps you separate out jaw, tongue and lips. Okay, so if I loved you would be... All you can hear if you're listening on the podcast is is just a slide with occasional... Going on. I will say, oh, sorry, as I just, I just you sounded did, like Silence of the Lambs. Just, <laughs> That's a weird combination I never thought I'd put together. Silence <laughs> the Lambs and If I Loved You. We're going to be banned. Uh, I will say that as a vocal trainer, that is quite an advanced technique. It is. It's the sort of thing that professional actors will work well with yeah. and um, sort of singers who are training to be professional singers. It requires a lot of coordination. It so does. I don't use that very often now. No. No, no, I find I don't need to. Can we go to the place now where we're doing call and response to teach? Because this yes. is something that people are using a lot on Zoom now. Yes. Because, you know, for those of you, excuse me, <clears throat> for those of you who are trainers and may be used to using a keyboard to note bash, first of all, it's not a very good way for singers to learn notes. Okay, why? Because they don't hear the harmonics. Thank you. I was going to say, why is it why is it not great to teach um, a melody from the piano, mm. from the keyboard? Well, that's another podcast. Well, no, it isn't. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. This is a very straightforward answer. The harmonic structure of a piano note is not the same harmonic structure as a voice. Yeah. And sometimes people who have um, sh very sharp hearing will not hear the fundamental frequency. They won't hear the note that you're playing. They'll hear a harmonic and try and tune mm -hmm. to that instead. Because of the way the piano works. Yes. And um, also, I think when we hear somebody's voice singing, and it, it doesn't mean that you have to have a fabulous voice as a someone who's teaching a song, yeah. but there's something about the harmonic structure of the voice that helps people to process the pitch yes. when they're hearing it. Yes. Assuming that you're singing the right one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so over Zoom, whether you're doing a bit of choir yeah. leadership or if you're doing regular singing teaching, don't be afraid to use call and response. I think you'll find it enormously yeah. helpful. Um, this is where this conversation that I was having a couple of days ago with several leaders, choir leaders and, and singing teachers mm. was, comes in because um, we were talking about how do you teach a song? And that was the topic of the conversation. And uh, the first person said exactly what Gillian said, which is call and response. So I sing a part of the melody and then somebody sings it back. And we've actually seen this done. You sort of assume that people are going to do that in, and it's a very good technique, by the way, in community choirs where people don't necessarily read music. Mm. 
It's one of the best ways of getting people to understand not just melody, but harmony as well. So that you sing and they repeat and then you sing and they repeat and they embed that way. We saw it, somebody teaching a a lesson, one of our Australian teachers, um, teaching a lesson where she did it for Schubert. And I thought that was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And we've also had people using a loop pedal for harmonies. A loop pedal. Oh, we've just been introduced to... We are getting envy about that. Loop Um, pedal envy. And I think a useful thing about the loop pedal is it's going to save your voice. Because there's a potential issue with teaching via call and response. Yes. Actually, it's something I experienced when I was first working in drama schools. Because many of the actors that I worked with didn't read music and actually were, uh, you know, there's a whole uh, fear thing about singing anyway mm. with many actors, or there certainly was in those days. So I would have to encourage them by singing it, singing line, they would sing the line. Now, you teach the same song for an hour yeah. in four hours of classes back to back. You get vocally tired. Yes. And it is an issue that many choral trainers have, particularly those working with community choirs, that they're singing line by line to teach them, uh, to teach the song. And then they're singing with the choir to encourage them and they get vocally tired. Yep. So it's something to be aware of. If you haven't come, if you haven't come across the loop pedal and how it works, basically the loop pedal is just, it's a, a, you know, you can record your voice and you can record any phrase you like, press a button and it will repeat exactly what you've just done. So not only can you sing a phrase and then press the button and repeat it, uh, which means you don't have to sing it every time to your, your singers. But you can then overdub so that you lay that track down and then that repeats and then you lay another track down and you you can record that and that repeats. And so you can build up massively complex harmonies without actually using that much vocal energy. Mm. Now, there's something that you do as um, kind of from your uh, rehearsal coach days that I think is very helpful. This is uh, if you are going to use the piano. I have no idea what's coming next. <laughs> Don't play the harmonies to teach line by line. Oh, yeah. Yeah, tell yeah, us yeah. about that. Okay, so people will sometimes say to me, look, I can't get to you. Can you do me a rehearsal track? Because literally I have this this audition in, in you know, three hours' time and I can't get to you. So what I will do is I'll get the music from them and play them two versions of it. I'll record them two versions. And the first one is the melody slowed down. Because what they need to do is to work out what the the intervals are. And I will do just the melody very, really quite strong and really sort of sketch a very quiet harmony underneath them, just in the left hand, just chords, so that they can hear harmonically. Because some singers don't think harmonically and some do. Um, They just hear the harmony that's going on underneath the melody so that they can at least tune to the bar. And then I'll do them a second version, which is the accompaniment at proper speed um, so that they get used to singing whatever is going to be um, being played, uh, whether it's a backing track or a, a live pianist in the audition itself. So two versions. Mm, very important. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason that Gillian says don't put loud harmonies underneath and don't play two parts or three parts or five mm. parts or anything like that is that when you're listening to a, a track very difficult to separate out what your melody might be if you've got banging harmonies underneath you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Unless you do something to feature it, which, of course, you can do nowadays with recording equipment. Yes. Okay. 
Now, so far, we've talked about really just the, the basic parts. I mean, you talked a little bit about the intention in, um, when, Ooh, in If I Loved You. Yes. I want us to talk about the other things that go on in a song, the, yeah. the musical backdrop of a song in terms of what's going on harmonically and also about the shape of the melody. So I'm going to share with you, I'm really digging into the archives here, um, Something that I used to do with my actors, and again, I'm thinking of, you know, the actors on a community theatre course who singing was kind of something they did not want to do. And uh, one day I, I went into class and I took with them, um, I've never been in love before from Guys and Dolls, which I knew they'd hate, but I wanted them to learn a little bit about lyrical singing. So I didn't give them the words. What I did was I simply played the melody for them on the piano. And then I played it several times and I said, you know, do you want to just move around to this melody? Um, you know, how does it make you feel? You know, maybe you want to hum along with it sometimes. And uh, then they had to write down the feeling that it gave them. And one of my favourite ones was, "Wee." You know, that really, that sense of expansion. So we did that first so that I got their emotional response to the music. And then the next thing I did was I made them work in pairs and write lyrics. Oh, fun. Uh -huh. yeah. So that they had to fit the words to the music. And it was extraordinary because lots of the lyrics that were written were not about love. Some of them were. They wrote totally different things. By doing that, they learned um, kind of intuitively how to fit words with the melody so they were learning rhythm. Mm. And then when we got the actual text and looked at it, it kind of made sense to them and they ha had found a better way of making the song their own. Mm. And that was something that I came up with because as a musician, you know, we, we've got this, this massive catalogue of um, emotional memories that fit with the music that we've been used to listening to. Mm. And if somebody presents us uh, music from a completely different culture, we can, sometimes we can respond really well and go, wow, I've never heard anything like that before. It's fantastic. Mm. Or sometimes we go, yuck, that's different. I don't like that. Or simply in terms of the language of music, it doesn't make sense to us. Yes. So we can't place it. So I think that's something that's really worthwhile doing uh, with your students, that the, that kind of whole listening thing and, and the emotion and getting into that backdrop. And I think it's very important working with teens who sometimes, because of peer pressure, are very resistant to working with music cultures that don't seem cool. Yeah. So I wanted to share that. And immediately, I'm going off on two tangents already. Um, the first one is it's a sort of simple version of what you're talking about mm. which is to take the lyrics that you're singing and rewrite them in your own words mm -hmm. and so often mm -hmm. i will use text speak i'll use slang i use whatever whatever it is mm. you know uh, look at him he's fit or um you know um, gsoh or whatever whatever um because it brings the lyrics and the story and the the action 
into your own world mm. rather than you putting yourself into what is sometimes quite a sort of stylized or idealized world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when you actually put it into your own language it makes much more sense to well, you well it gives you ownership it does and then you've got the intention and then you can you're more you're more in tune with the purpose of the song yep. which is you you have something to communicate and it takes I like me, that a lot it takes me beautifully into um one of the other people that I was discussing having the conversation with a couple of days ago who said I always start with the story and the emotion and the context mm-hmm. and we will actually talk about even even learning a song I don't start with the notes and the rhythms mm. I start with the words and the context and the emotions and um, I thought that was really fascinating because mm. in a way I found it quite challenging because as an MD, normally I have a very small amount of time to get people accurate mm. on the notes and that's all I have. But I, I thought about it, we actually had quite a long discussion about it and I thought it was really fascinating that what you're doing is giving people the context in mm. which this thing happens. Mm. And I loved that. I was going to try that out. Mm. There was someone else in that conversation who was uh, working mostly in the gospel genre. Yay, yeah, yeah. And he immediately starts with the level of energy that you need because gospel is normally high energy. It's high, high outward energy or high contained energy. And so the first thing he does is gets the singers into that energetic level. And I thought that was, again, a fantastic way of dealing with it. And we were looking at where these these modes of learning might fit best. And obviously mm. energy mm. is gospel without question. Mm-hmm. Story and context and words is musical theatre. Mm. And um, uh, call and response is really community choir. Mm. And obviously there are variations and you can use anyone you like, but mm. it seemed to me that they fitted so beautifully. And, and then my thing, which is learn the words in rhythm, um, funnily enough, obviously musical theatre, but funnily enough, I've done this with the recitative in uh, opera, mm. in classical music, and that works really well too, mm. is that suddenly the recitative, you start to understand what that is about and what the shapes are. So ironically, even though I'm doing um, rhythms and, and something that's actually quite specific, what I'm really doing is teaching shape. I do love teaching by shape. Mm. I sight read by shape as well. I would like to guide us towards the finish line. By, by... <laughs> I didn't know we'd even started. I thought it was just the preamble. Yeah, by talking, yes, <laughs> by talking about copying. Yeah. Now, when yeah. when I was training as a young singer, the idea that you copied someone else's performance was an absolute no-no. Yeah. You did not go there. And it's something that I hear singing teachers talking uh, about a lot. You know, for instance, somebody's singing um, one of one of Adele's songs, and oh, well, they're copying her sound. They're copying her performance. This is really, really bad. Well, yes and no. Yeah. Because first of all, we share with songbirds yep. a song learning gene. We do. And we learned to speak by copying using our mirror neurons. And there is really nothing wrong with learning a song by a degree of copying. That's how we learn melodies. It's actually one of the best ways. So it's not wrong. I think the important thing is how we manage that. So, for example, if you have a student who maybe it's more often a teen student or or to be fair, an avocational singer who wants to sing like one of their icons because that's what's inspired them to do it in the first place. And, you know, they will 
actually very wonderfully copy every nuance that that singer has done and they will model their voice towards that singer. And sometimes that's inappropriate for someone of that age or someone of that um, level of skill. Mm. And you may then need to modify. Well, fortunately, YouTube can help you here because there are always at least half a dozen other recordings of somebody performing that song and not necessarily studio produced because there's the whole thing about how we use EQ now to change the sound and to compress the sound. That takes away some of the acoustic signals and and acoustic richness of a real voice. So encourage your students to listen to several recordings, discuss them, and then play around a bit more with, um, the, you know, the idea of, of modelling it in different ways. YouTube is so useful because for exactly that reason, because people find things, they find songs that, that really appeal to them and they go, oh, I love this song. Mm. And the next instruction you need to give them is fantastic. Find another five performances of it. Mm. Because um, otherwise you, I mean, there is one, there's one situation where you do need to copy exactly what that singer did. And that's if you're doing a cover band, Mm -hmm. which is really, it's like a tribute band. Mm. Um, And then really you want to sound as close as possible to Mm -hmm. the singer. But most of the time, I mean, we'll have to say one of my favourite lessons to give is when somebody comes in and says, I have five different singers singing this song. I really want to sound like all of them. Um, can we find out what they're doing? And I go, yeah, you know, play the track. Let's find out what the signature style features are. Mm. Let me get you to do them. in, and, and then we'll find your voice and your version using those style features. I would love us to do a podcast on that sometime mm. because I think finding the flavour of the song is something that you're especially good at. Mm. And it's a great way to help. People who maybe come from a more traditional um, music literacy background, um, those of us who trained classically originally, to understand different genres and to use our musicianship for that purpose. I think that would be a great podcast. Um, we we do have we have to fit an AMA in, and I really we want do. to fit this one in. We do. I know. I know. We've talked um, a lot. We're, haven't we? Yeah, we're we're over half an hour already. But there is um, an AMA. There is an, relevant an to this AMA. Term. Here is the tin. So pleased with this tin. There we go. So if you're on, if you go on the YouTube channel, you'll see me manipulating the tin. We're going to get complaints about its pitch inaccuracy. <laughs> um, so this was a question that came in. Uh, it came in online. Mm. Um, Ten minutes to rehearse a song help. Mm. If you only have a short amount of time, audition or whatnot, what should you focus on? Great question, and I do this all the time. I'm handing that over to you. Yeah, it's one of my things. Um, right. First thing is, um, I'm just going to pull from my mind various situations where this has happened. Um, wonderful example where somebody had a film audition uh, mm. for a film musical. Um, and she, she it was um, Into the Woods, the mm. film. And um, she was up for one of the leads and she said, I really need to learn this song. 
Um, she'd sort of learned the notes and she'd sort mm-hmm. of learned the rhythms. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you focus on? And I thought, right, okay. And since it was Sondheim. Since it's Sondheim. We're not talking yeah. about an easy task mm-hmm. here. Not an easy song either. Um, so we we spent, seriously, we spent about six minutes going, okay, any rhythms that you're not sure about, any entries that you're not sure about? Yeah, there were quite a few of them. Um, so we just very quickly went over those. And then the last few minutes I went, I understand that you want to get this accurate. But you've got to remember that this is film musical and the film musical rules are very slightly Mm. different. Mm. It's not about accuracy. It is actually about portrayal. It's about portrayal and really specific emotions and making sure that your storyline is absolutely crystal clear. Isn't it also in that kind of a situation, as it often is in a musical theatre audition, that they want to see you in that role, so yes. you have to be able to give them a flavour of how you would interpret that role yes, by that song. Absolutely. Mm. So I said, we're just going to go through the song, and I want you to play the story, and I don't care if you make wrong entries, I don't mm. care if you make wrong notes, that is absolutely not the focus of this audition. Uh, this is a film audition, and they want to see you doing this. So that was really interesting. And in fact, she was successful in that audition. Um, She decided in the end, she got down to the final two and decided not to do it. She did something else instead. Please, please, please. Yes. Pretty please. Could we do a podcast sometime on what is practising? <gasps> Love to Wouldn't do that. Wouldn't that be cool? Okay, if you want us to do a podcast on what is practising and how do you practise, let us know. Add, add it in the comments, send us emails, bombard us with stuff, because um, I'd love to do that. Good. Um, one more thing, um, which is what do you focus on? It really honestly depends on the context. That was the film context. Mm. If you're doing a, a musical theatre audition context, it's similar. We really want to see you and this character. We want to see what this character does with a song. So you've got, in a way, it's sort of two focuses, which is... Um, can you as the actor live in a song? Mm. Can you actually work a song? Can you, um, how are you at the language of song? Because obviously most actors are highly experienced in the language of words, mm. but can you actually, can you sell a song? That's the first thing. Mm. The main thing in a way for musical theatre auditions is what is this character going through? We want to see this character's story. Mm. So in a way, it's very similar to film, although film is much more heightened um, in a weird way. Um, you, we really want to see the character. So again, I would do storyline. I would check any wrong notes. But to be honest, I'm less less bothered about those than actually getting somebody up and running. If this, if I've only got 10 minutes, I am not going to go into, oh, by the way, you know, this is an E-flat instead of an E-natural. Don't care. Not the focus. Um, and anything... We're, so, we're going to get kickback for that. And, listen, <laughs> if, if anybody wants to give me That's kickback... That's what rehearsal is for. Listen to the context we are talking about. Mm. Everything on earth is context. Mm. So here's the context. Um, yeah, it was, it's very interesting. It's all about character and how you do it. If I'm doing an opera audition, totally different... Well, you'd take more than 10 minutes. Uh, well, virtually every aria is more than 10 minutes. Mm. But um, if I'm doing an opera audition, then I'm coaching for an opera audition, then it's very much about sound and shape and phrasing. Mm. Uh, it's less about characterization. It's more about musicality and phrase shape and um, emotion portrayal. And so now I would get more accurate with somebody who wasn't doing a, a right note anyway mm. because it's so important. Yeah. 
Will that do? Should we go away and look up about guitars? <laughs> what is it called? I still haven't got it. Uh, all right. So it just tells us that the brain doesn't multitask. It doesn't. Not at all. We it look forward to hearing switches. your thoughts, people. Yeah. And remember, if you have ideas for podcasts that we haven't brought up today, yeah. please um, put them in the comments. Oh, and there's something I'd like, to, to, I'd like for you to do. If you want to, us to um, answer a question, mm. if you want to submit to an AMA, the way we really want you to do it is to go to speakpipe.com slash vocal process and record your question so that we can actually play it. So you can appear on our podcast. Yeah, love to have that. I would yeah. love to have other people on the podcast. Mm. Um, we are already planning guests, but in specifically, I want um, people to submit their AMAs as audio files. So go to speakpipe.com slash vocal process and record one for us. I think that's it. Are we done? I think we're done. I think we're finished. Yes. Thank you very much. All and right. we will see you next time. Bye-bye. This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr. Gillian Kayes and Jeremy Fisher.